This is the Litigation Management Podcast, and I'm your host, the CEO of Case Glide, Wesley Todd. The Litigation Management Podcast is where I interview some of the most successful and influential people in and around the litigation management space. And I'm going for full court heaps, you know, not layups. I'm going for, uh, and I don't want to know the latest case law or, um, you know, the latest uh, lit- litigation guideline update. Um, we're looking at like, what are the huge things impacting you, the adjuster, the claims executive, the attorney, all those things around our industry that impact us. You know, I had a great guest today is no exception. Today on the LM pod, I have Taylor Smith. For those of you that don't know, Taylor is the founder and CEO of Sweet 200 Solutions. And I'm about to kick it to Taylor to uh, ask him more about his background. We're going to talk about social inflation today and answer some of the questions around it, get Taylor's insights from uh, just a couple of hours looking into the topic and talking with a few of the more uh, influential people that, that are having to deal with this. So I'm excited about this one, Taylor. Welcome to the pod. Uh, tell me, tell, tell the audience about your background. Well, thanks, Wes. I mean, first of all, it's fantastic to be here. You've had such a fantastic uh, guests on this uh, series that I'm really flattered to be here. So thank you for that. And uh, I don't know the latest case law, and I'm not up to date on the latest e-billing guidelines and litigation guidelines. So that's probably good that you're not focused there. Um, I, I started my career as a claims professional, and uh, I worked for CNA, I worked for NorCal Mutual. I worked for MMI companies, which was an organization uh, purchased by the Travelers many years ago. And uh, I, 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 I liked everything I did in the claims world, but I was fascinated by technology and I was sort of pulled away by some influential mentors into the technology world. I spent a number of years um, advancing uh, litigation management technology, among others, uh, socializing new ideas, thinking of different ways that the law firm community can work with the claims community and so forth, all to the benefit of the policyholder or the interested parties. Um, And I enjoyed that very much. I started Sweet 200 uh, Solutions in 2009, and it was really an effort to do new and interesting things, um, have enjoyed every minute of it. Our organization is comprised now of essentially um, a semi-retired or retired chief claim officers and chief litigation officers. And uh, so we consult to all constituencies in the marketplace, uh, law firms, claims organizations, self-insured, uh, and especially to uh, service and technology uh, providers who are bringing new and innovative ideas uh, to the marketplace. So that's a little bit about my background. I serve as the uh, as a chancellor in the CLM's Litigation Management Institute now. I serve as a dean in the School of Litigation Management, which is part of the CLM's Claims College. Um, and as a result, I'm usually surrounded by people that are much, much smarter than I am. Uh, but uh, it gives me a very good insight into what's new and current uh, uh, in the litigation management arena. So is that helpful to you as a background? That's perfect. I, I You have a great group of people in Sweet 200 Solutions. I know you do so much more than even what you described, but I heavily recommend to anybody that's in and around this space to check that out, check out that board and look at all the insights that you can get. I know we've worked with you. It's been very successful. We at Case Glide have been very successful with Sweet 200. So uh, yeah, I think everybody gets it now. You have uh, 
you, you've 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 seen the the market uh, emerge over the over the years and get to where we're at and and uh, bring a lot to the table for this really key discussion that's real macro about the whole industry. So, thank you, Taylor, for joining. I want to start it off with a real uh, simple question, although it's what I would call a challenging answer. And I really want to know what is social inflation? You know, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of articles about it, but does everyone really know what it is? So I'd like you to define it for the group. Tell us what we should be thinking about it. Um, you know, as it's structured, like what, what is it and whatever else you think is key for us to, to consider uh, to get this conversation kicked off. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And it is actually a little bit of a challenging answer. Um, I think only because um, it is, it has become, at least in my, you know, in my view, it's become a very important buzzword in the industry. And I think everyone from a senior claim officer right down to a frontline adjuster is encountering the word. It's being used in their organizations. It's being written in the literature and so forth. So, you know, at a, at a very high level, it is a term that has been around for a long time. I mean, in my own experience, we first, I first began seeing this get discussed with greater seriousness, probably in sort of the 2015 range, maybe the last five years. And I think it's reached sort of a feverish pitch right now in terms of how frequently the term is used and discussed. Um, but it's been a term that's been around since the 1970s. Um, I, many people know that Warren Buffett used it in a letter to his investors in two, you know, 1977, I believe. And so it's been around for a long time. The, the general definition of it, paraphrased down to someone with my limited IQ, uh, is that um, there are really two components to it. And the first is that um, social inflation is used to describe pressures, societal pressures, that are, 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 are getting things covered under the insurance contract that weren't intended to be covered in the first place. So these are societal pressures, juries, others who are essentially transferring risk to insurance policies. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means. Um, I think as the term is more frequently used today, it's used really to talk about runaway case values, right? Not just nuclear verdicts and jury awards, but the pressures of all these things driving up settlement values, compensation values. What was previously co compensable at X is in today's world potentially comp uh, compensable at Y. And that creates uncertainty for underwriters. It, it creates challenges for claims organizations. That's, that's generally how it's referred. I will say that sort of, you know, when you think about the first component of that, getting things covered that weren't intended to be covered, you know, a very simple and often talked about uh, example is the, the American Law Institute's restatement of the law on liability insurance. And this is a restatement. It's a guide. It's a, it's a, it's a guide, guide, set of guiding principles for judges, lawyers, and people in the legal community. That was started, I think, either in 2010 or 2013. It was passed, uh, finalized in 2018. And it does a lot of things. It provides guidance that the insurance industry feels is unfavorable to it. Um, and to the point that two states, uh, Kentucky and Indiana, I think, 
actually passed resolutions uh, really rejecting this restatement. That's the component of it, you know, whether it's retroactively changing statutes of limitations or enhancing coverage for things that previously weren't defined as covered. Um, that's one whole component. Then the other is, as I mentioned, um, sort of this concept of increased values. There, there are four reports I'll mention before your next question to me that I would encourage anyone listening to this to read, to get sort of a zero to 60 understanding of social inflation. And they're relatively recent uh, and they're all very good. And, and I, I like them because I think they're a good primer for anybody that wants to understand this topic seriously. The first is the, uh, a report from the Insurance Research Council in 2020 on social inflation. And uh, I think it can be Googled relatively easily and found with some ease. The second is that Sedgwick did a very interesting uh, report about social inflation in 2020. That was done by Allison Daly and Chris Mandel. And I think it's very good because it serves as sort of a compilation of industry literature. The third is a 2019 uh, Milliman report. Uh, on the general liability line. And it talks about deteriorating trends and increased case values. And I think that's valuable. And then in 2018, the Casualty Actuarial Society put out a report. So those are the four that I think are particularly helpful for people that are new to the topic or you know want to know more about it. Super helpful, yeah. I mean, you definitely boiled it down to something digestible, right? It's it's about frequency and severity, and frequency would be expanded through, you know, expanded coverage, like you said. Uh, I'm sure every adjuster and attorney has seen this in their careers. It just seems, you know, like they're they may have had a 50% chance of winning something, and it's down to like a 25% chance ten years later on on issues before the court or. Um, on policy language or, right. or, or any, or, or even, you know, civil procedures sometimes, you know, uh, Daubert or summary judgments, anything. I mean, it's exactly, it has, exactly. Correct. It's been difficult. And then severity is, you know, like you said, runaway juries, which is the one, the, that probably makes the news a little bit more. And then the resources are fantastic. I agree. Those are the four premier resources. I, I you know, it'd be great if we had uh, some real hard data around it. Um, that, you know, that from, a, from, from, you know, companies like ours and other companies getting together and, and compiling this so that we could have some real hard and fast data around it. But um, those are great resources. The story is, is pretty clear in there. So no, I, I think that's perfect set up for the, and then everybody can go, go do their own homework on it with those four reports. So Taylor, the, the, the obvious question then is, well, what is causing social inflation now? Why is it now in the news? Why is it something that everybody's bringing up in every earnings call? You know, what, what changed all of a sudden these past few years, we're hearing about it all, 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 all together. I mean, do you well, have a, yeah, go ahead. I, I do. I mean, I, I, you know, in looking at those four reports and reading blogs and putting everything together, you see some common themes that are often repeated. And I, those clearly, I think, are in the list of drivers, if we're going to talk about a list of drivers. I, I, 
I personally sort of peg it at 10 different things. And I'll let me just list off the 10 and then I'll talk in greater detail about some of the underlying things that I think are relevant to claims professionals managing cases in this environment. So, you know, we, we've alluded to some things in the definition itself. So there've been changes in the appropriateness of filing lawsuits in the first place. People are more willing to do that. There have been changes in expectations about compensation. You know, we all watch TV. Uh, you know, look, plaintiff firm ads now highlight uh, people who stand up and say, this is the amount of money I got. And we all put the, ourselves in their shoes. And those are big numbers. And so the numbers are being driven up. Um, I've sort of referenced legislative actions to extend or repeal statutes of limitations, you know, sexual abuse um, uh, limita uh, statutes uh, of limitations are a good example. Those are being extended retroactively in many areas. Um, increased attorney advertising, increased attorney involvement in cases. Those are probably the top five. Um, commonly discussed is the growth of third-party funding of plaintiff lawsuits. And we can talk a little bit more about that as well. Clearly, higher jury awards coming out of the back is also a driver of the whole concept because people hear about it and incorporate that. Uh, there are now more class action lawsuits than there were previously. Uh, and so those are the top eight. Um, interesting, Milliman talks about the fact that plaintiff attorneys are now better at incorporating allegations of severe injury, like traumatic brain injury and, and uh, things like that. Uh, and that's, a, that's another driver. And then um, sometimes discussed, mentioned in the Sedgwick report, but in others as well, is the fact that we now have 15% more lawyers in the United States per million population uh, than we had uh, in 2007. So 15% doesn't uh, sound like a lot, but in fact, it's hundreds of thousands of lawyers, uh, more lawyers now, and that's considered a driver too. So those mm -hmm. are the top 10. I mean, what I think interests me is that when you dig down beneath those 10 things, you really see changes in societal uh, attitudes. And, and so let, let, let me use a couple examples. Um, income inequality. Six out of 10 Americans now believe that income inequality in our country is significant. You might think about this as a um, as a political issue or a societal issue, but it, it changes how people feel we should assign responsibility for making things better. Because six out of 10 Americans believe social inequality is, a, is pretty bad and you know, significant in our country. Six out of 10 Americans also believe that big corporations should play a very important role in fixing that. And so those two things together um, change, create a societal change. Um, you mix that together with a few Gallup poll findings from 2019, and you can see how this snowballs a little bit. So for example, in 2019, Gallup, Gallup has measured anger levels in the United States forever. Um, in 2019, they found that anger levels among the people they polled were the highest they've been in more than a decade. And so what that means is one out of five Americans is really angry uh, during some part of their day, like really, ang really angry. 
And there have been many studies that show when you're really angry, you're more likely to file a lawsuit, okay? So that's a relevant finding. Um, mix that together with the third sort of societal belief, which is in 2019, Gallup found that big corporations uh, are have such a low uh, area of confidence. People have such low levels of competence in big corporations. There were th only uh, three institutions that ranked lower than big corporations, and they were newspapers, TV news, and Congress. And so now you've got a thing where you've got angry people, there's wealth, there's wealth inequality that people sort of generally feel exists, and they don't like corporations, and they feel corporations should uh, bear some responsibility for fixing uh, those things. Um, there was a society done in 2009 by American jury centers that talked about a sense of entitlement. They studied that, and they found, maybe not unsurprisingly, that participants in the 18 to 39 age range were significantly more, felt more entitled than people who were older. Those people, now 10 years on, are now older. There seems to be some belief that that sense of entitlement has not gone away as they've aged, uh, and in fact that people in general in society feel more entitled. We all have a sense of that from how we watch the news and those kinds of things. Then add in attorney advertising. I will tell you that if you do studies on uh, attorney advertising, obviously it's the highest it's ever been, right? As long as soon as they were allowed to advertise, we were inundated with attorney uh, advertisements. Uh, and that's become very sophisticated. At the same time, the use of the internet allows for a much broader reach with, those with that advertising. If you look at the highest paid keywords in Google search, like the highest paid uh, you find frequent examples of things like Los Angeles attorney or auto uh, accident attorney. Um, those are paid for dearly because they produce results. They get people to reach out to their attorney uh, and it all adds to this mix in the other uh, context of this. I just read um, a very interesting uh, blog or article put together by travelers um, that talked about how attorney tactics are changing as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But some examples of that are the, an increased use of policy limit demands, venue shopping, and better use of social media to find and vet the right jurors for jury trials. Um, and those, um, those three tactics I mentioned before, the increased use of uh, sort of building medical costs and the increased allegations around severe injuries like TBIs, um, th that, that is considered to be uh, a very important thing. And then lastly, I previously mentioned, um, you know, third-party funding. Um, that is considered by many to be really a watershed because third-party funding fundamentally changes incentives in the litigation management system as we knew it. Um, as we knew it, Plaintiffs were always incented to some level, to some degree, to reach a reasonable resolution of the file, the case, the dispute, uh, in return for getting their money more quickly. Now, with third-party funding, there it's changed the economics of things. Plaintiff counsel have more money to work with. The desire to resolve things more quickly may be diminished. 
because there are third parties who have looked at the probability of what this case will produce and how likely it is to produce that result. Um, and that third party funding was described by the New York Times um, in 2018, I think, as a $10 billion industry. And that's nothing to sneeze at. There are some, there, I think there, are, I have read articles that have said it's not quite that big, but there's a lot of money in third party funding of these lawsuits. So, you know, those are seven or eight um, major factors that underscore the drivers. And that, in my view, is what's pushing this entire challenge forward for the insurance claims defense industry. Well, it is a very helpful overview. There were a few things in there that I might have left out um, that I'm glad that you brought up. I, you know, first of all, when I was practicing, you, you, you know, when we represented corporations, yeah, it's a big disadvantage to have an empty chair, right? Um, versus a somebody that, um, you know, is injured. And now look, that's been the same, you know, th that's always been the case, right? So, so it's not, it's, it's, it's nothing new, but it is a huge disadvantage. What you talked about, about your jury makeup, right? That, that there's just a different set of calculations being made by the jury than there were 10, 20 years ago. I mean, that's, that's huge. Uh, I, I, I believe that is a big piece. And then to kind of wrap up what you were saying, uh, the other big piece of it is, well, actually there's two more big pieces. And I'll just throw in a couple of comments from my own experience. The, certainly the financial piece is, plays a big role, whether it's litigation funding or, uh, the, or the changing of laws, like you mentioned a few to further incentivize litigation like prevailing party attorney fees or, or, or the statute of limitations. And then you talk about an extra 15% of lawyers. I hadn't heard that stat, but my theory is that, you know, in particular, you know, certain areas of litigation, the limiting factor is the amount of attorneys. So, right. you know, certain things may or may not, injuries may or may not happen. Certain things, you know, catastrophes may or may not happen. But if there's more attorneys, there's going to be more litigation. And finally, the, uh, you know, discussion around, the around finance and in particular, there's just a lot of money being printed in this country and, and there's a lot of money looking for places to go. Right. And to your point, uh, to put $10 billion into this, into litigation funding, if it returns 7%, which I think so far they've returned more, uh, they won't care if they lose a few years. So this thing will explode. It's just amazing because you wonder, you know, normally like with something like this, you would expect there to be like one or two just huge things that change everything. The way you describe it is maybe the first time it's kind of hit me. There's like 10 different things going on, all important. I wonder if this is one of those rare situations where like all 10 things combine and hey, maybe this, maybe this is only incremental right now, but uh, there's really not anything getting in the way of this being transformational and this being some big thing. And it, particularly when you lay out all 10 drivers and the fact that like kind of all of them are going the same direction once, just really helpful. Um, ho hopefully, um, 
you know, ho hopefully everybody was taking notes. I know that I'm just going to be asking you for the notes after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I you know, I, we should talk about the consequences of, you know, what these drivers, like what it's really producing. I mean, I do think that to your point, you know, big societal changes or slow societal changes come about as a result of multiple factors, not a single factor. And I think, you know, to that degree, you could argue this is a perfect storm of things coming together, the way we feel about ourselves as a society, the way we look to others to compensate us, or maybe we feel entitled or just angry, and maybe we're, you know, ticked off at big companies or whatever it is. I mean, you know, the reptile theory, um, and for those of you, you know, who don't know, or newer participants in the industry, the reptile theory was sort of introduced in 2009. And the reptile theory is this idea that if you can get jurors or impartial viewers of a case to focus on two things, you have a chance of getting a much larger award. And those two things are um, that something someone else did uh, was a danger to the community. There's a safety violation. Uh, the company should have better managed its truck drivers, whatever it might be. You have to get people to believe that is a danger to the community as a whole. And secondly, you've got to make jurors feel like they have the power to improve community safety. If you can do that, you elevate it from being about this case to performing a societal good. You either punish the big company or by punishing them, you make society, our whole community better. Um, and so that's been a little bit of a factor too, because in the background, you know, I mean, that's sort of, you cannot talk about societal changes, I think, and social inflation without sort of at least mentioning nuclear verdicts. I mean, because they're, they're interrelated in a very important way. Um, and so I, you know, I think to that, to that degree, uh, you're right to say that there are a lot of things coming together at the same time. So I hear differing opinions on like, like on, on whether, and that's why I kind of brought up the incremental versus transformational. I think you'll have good arguments on both sides. Hey, this isn't a big deal. Hey, this is a big deal. From your perspective, how bad is it now? Well, I mean, I'm quick to say, I think most people will acknowledge that a lot of discussion about social inflation has been anecdotal. And I think the industry is just now getting to the point that it's beginning to look at data points. Um, and for a bunch of reasons we can talk about, the industry is challenged in talking about data points because how what one organization calls this case type, another organization calls it something else. And so aggregate information has been challenging. But on the other hand, um, the insurance industry is sort of the law of large numbers. And there's no question but that costs are rising in litigation and outcomes are worsening in litigation. Just about everybody agrees with that. Not everybody, but just about everybody. And the people that look at the law of large numbers all the time, the Insurance Research Council's report, I think, is illustrative of this. Most articles about it talk about um, very specific number of you know, big verdicts, things like that. I think more work needs to be done on non-verdict uh, general settlement values, but most people seem to agree. So let me, let me give you a few factoids, sort of USA style. Um, there seems to be some general agreement that the most effective lines of business, and I'll read a few of these to you, commercial auto, number one. Uh, the 
the, the previous trends for loss ratios in commercial auto were going down in 2013. They started to go up. Looks like a hockey puck at this point. I mean, a hockey stick at this point. It's going, it, it's just up. Uh, commercial auto, professional liability, product liability, and DNO. And what most people seem to feel is that these, you know, the, those four very specific lines of risk. Um, that the increased values there are just contributing to uh, increased values in other lines of business, including personal auto, for example, uh, which is now sort of felt to be experiencing pressures that drive this up. So here are some big numbers. 2.3% uh, of our GDP in the USA is spent in compensation and legal costs. It's about $429 billion a year. Uh, less than 60% of that makes it to the injured party. Everything else is sucked off in costs, attorney's fees, and so forth. Um, the biggest uh, area of this spend is commercial and general liability. It's about 58%, 37% in auto, 4% in medical malpractice. So those are three areas that you can sort of put together. Uh, Florida, as you well know, has the highest litigation costs as a percentage of GDP. It's 3.6%. So if the national average is 2.3, Florida is at 3.6. So big, big, big difference there. Um, Florida, California, New York, and New Jersey all have costs per household for litigation, compensation, legal costs in excess of 4K. So those four states, about 4,000 per household, the national average or other states, 2,000. So it's about double. And that's why when you're talking with claims professional, they talk about what they're managing in terms of litigation in those four states, Florida, California, New York, New Jersey. Um, I'm quick to say that um, uh, you know there are good things that can happen. I mean, Florida is no longer listed on the official list of judicial hell holes where it was for many years. There are other states now that have superseded it. And that's because of legislative reforms in the state of Florida, which have you know increased certainty. Doesn't mean the problem's gone away, but it's no longer listed on the official list of judicial hellholes. And that's in the top five anyway. Um, and that, that's a, that's, that, that should give us all hope. Um, I, if you look at, I'll give you four other very quick five or six other really quick little bullet points on the consequences of what this is, has meant. Um, there's more attorney involvement in cases uh, than there has been previously. So BI auto claims um, used to be 47% of claims nationally in 2002. It's now 52% uh, in, well, in 2017. So that, that is a 5% increase over, you know, uh, 10 years or so, um, or 15 years. Um, so that may not seem too big, but think about this. The whole concept of personal injury protection, PIP claims, was designed as a no-fault system so that lawyers wouldn't be required. That's now at 39% attorney repped. Okay, that's almost four out of 10 claims. PIP claims has an attorney involved. And in Florida, it's 55%, more than half. Uh, and that, that's, as I said, all in a line of business designed to avoid attorney, attorney involvement entirely. 
Uh, auto, auto liability injury claims grew 5.5% between 2014 and 2019. That's three times the rate of inflation. The 2008 median jury award for commercial vehicle fatalities was 1.5 million uh, in 2008. And in 2018, this had increased 367% to 5.5 million. Um, we, I mentioned nuclear verdicts. The common definition of a nuclear verdict is anything over $10 million. People will disagree about what that is. But in 2015, the largest verdict in the United States was $844 million. A year later, it was $8 billion. That is a case that got reduced to like $6.7 million or something like that. I mean, it got reduced heavily. But the second largest verdict that year, a year later, was $2 billion. So those kinds of numbers scare people. They scare claims people, they scare underwriters, um, they excite uh, plaintiffs and contribute to settlement values overall. And the easiest way is if you look at the Milliman report, no matter whether you're looking at individual settlements or you're looking at these big verdicts, it is uh, loss ratio deterioration. That's the easiest way to describe it. So anyway, those are some of the factoids and numbers that come out in terms of real numbers that claims people have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think, I think the, you know, what you're, it sounds bad, but then you combine like the first or, or you know, the last two things we talked about, you know, some of the drivers and then how bad it is. It seems like it, it could be a lot worse. I mean, those are, that was great though. I, I, I'm going to tell you thank you because I've done all the research on all the social inflation stuff. I'm a nerd and I've never seen all that information in one spot. So if you've, for those of you that are listening that got to this point, um, you're welcome. Mm -hmm.